Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. So I want to begin uh, tonight as we look at part five, Tending the Garden, by introducing you to two um, great women, really, of uh, church history, possibly, though, women that you won't have heard of. And so the first one is a 12th century um, lady, her name is Hildegard of Bingen. Bingen is a, a place in Germany. Um, she was a Benedictine abbess. Uh, abbess is uh, sort of in charge of a monastery. And she was a writer, a composer, a mystic, a philosopher. Importantly, in terms of what I'm just about to give you a quote from her, she was a botanist back in the days, and you know, sort of science and theology, you know, weren't so much in opposition to each other. And um, so she was a really significant, um, you know, kind of writer in some of these areas. And she came up with the, um, the, the whole idea of what she called veriditas. And veriditas essentially is the green finger, looking for the green things. It's a, it's a, it's a very inviting concept that, that each of us, God would be inviting us towards something that would, that would um, you know, begin to bring um, a flourishing in our lives. And I, I love that idea, and I think it ties in with our whole thing of the garden, tending the garden, as we're talking about it tonight. Looking for the things that will enliven your soul and exploring those things. And then the second, so she was 12th century, so 900 years ago. And then the second person I want to introduce you to is to a lady called Teresa of Avila. And she was a Carmelite nun, Spanish nun in the 16th century. And she wrote extensively on, on the interior life. And she were, she's formed us without us perhaps even knowing her name in lots of different ways. She wrote about the interior life being like a garden. And she talked about um, it being a garden overrun with weeds and, and, and with terrible soil. And she talked about Jesus entering the garden at salvation, if you like, at our encounter with Jesus, entering the garden and restoring the garden. And she says, she talks about the king. She, she calls Jesus the king and she talks about the king pulling up weeds, replenishing soil, and then planting good seeds into that garden. And she suggests that we, as we think about our soul, as we think about our spiritual life, should see this garden as not belonging to ourselves, not something that this is my garden, my life, my choices even but as a garden that belongs to the great king and for us to tend our garden for his sake as much as for our own sake. Obviously, it benefits us as well. Quite a radical idea, I think, and possible, possibly helpful to us as we, as we tire sometimes, as we wonder whether we should or can be bothered tending the garden, that we're not doing it just for our own benefit, but we're actually doing it for the sake of 
the one who has loved us so much to even create this beautiful garden. Our job, she says, is to water it in prayer. She talks about four types of watering, a a progression of watering in a sense. She talks about um, pulling water from the bottom of a well in a bucket and talks about how labor intensive that was. We don't really think about that these days, but even you may have seen, you know, some of our world vision children that we're talking about tonight will have pulled water from a bucket out of a well after walking kilometers. That still happens happens in our world today and how laborious that is but how we often start like that but if we would be willing to do that she talks about an, another form of watering which is like from a water well or a, a, a water wheel or um, you know kind of a, a pump and so we can go to it with a bucket and some of the work's done for us because of the work that we've done before. And she talks a third area of, of, of maybe like an irrigation, of diverting a stream. And then she finally talks about this idea of, of your garden being watered by heavenly rain that God wants to bring to us. It's, a, it's an incredibly attractive and inviting idea. And um, Teresa said, and I think this is so significant, we spend our entire lifetime growing more deeply into our relationship with God. And I find this challenging because I'm not sure that even coming to church tonight, a single one of us, including me, and I know I'm going to quote it, would have had an idea of I'm going to church or I'm doing the Christian thing or it's Sunday, the Sabbath, or, or whatever time investment in growing more deeply into my relationship with God. And yet Teresa would invite us to a life that is committed to that process. Um, Teresa wrote a book called The Interior Castle. When I did my master's study about 10 years ago, it was the book I liked the least, The Interior Castle by Teresa of Avila. Um, And yet it is the book that I've quoted the most, which probably is an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? There's probably something about what God was doing in my life in that process that I was resisting or something like that along the way. So in this interior castle, which is a different writing to her writing on the garden, she talks about, she she envisions our soul as if it's a castle made of a single diamond. And she says within that castle, within that diamond, there are mansions. She talks about seven mansions and she talks about this interior journey of us walking through these mansions which have many rooms to meet and greet the king who is in the inner mansion so that we might have relationship with him. And so it is very mystical. It is very kind of otherworldly. It is very easy to be almost um, critical of it. Um, And yet there is the sense of that indeed is what his life, what, what his invitation is to us, to be walking through this process of discovering and drawing closer. And of course, if we think about our inner life, if we're going to look internally and walk internally, we're going to have to walk past our resistance. We're going to have to walk past our anger. We're going to have to walk walk past our excuses. We're going to have to walk past our sin and our and our and the things that we're doing that we wouldn't be all of that proud of to walk towards this Jesus who's already planted in the garden of our heart and is looking for relationship with us. And and, and, and Teresa says, you know, kind of the, the king is the source of light in our heart. And as we walk closer, we discover it illuminates more and we discover more. And it's just this wonderful process. I think it's incredibly challenging, this 
interior journey, this catching breath series, this working towards sort of, um, you know, kind of a healthy spiritual rhythm in our life. The Bible's full of gardens. It starts in a garden, doesn't it? The Garden of Eden. It ends in a garden, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. In Psalm chapter 1, it talks about a garden. It said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. And it finishes in Psalm 1, it's just a six-verse psalm, that person. Oh, that person who does that, there's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And if you, if you pick up Teresa, we spend our lifetime growing more deeply. This is a picture of what the invitation of God is to discover him in. As a person like planted by streams of water, we're not pulling water out of a well and walking six kilometers, but planted by the source of water, yielding fruit in season like we would love to do and love to be, whose leaf does not live wither and, and whatever we do prospers. It's the invitation of God. It's the call of God for us to discover that. Isaiah 58 11 says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. This is, again, the invitation of God. And so we call tonight's message, Tending the Garden. Tending the Garden. I would like to re-kind of call it as Tending My Garden. Because it's not just sort of a, you know, kind of a generic, we need to tend the gardens or there is a garden or somewhere there is a garden. But the biblical thing, the Teresa thing, the, the sense that every one of us has a garden. Every one of us is a garden of which God has come and has taken up residence there if we sort of mix some of our metaphors with the castle and things like that. So we are all gardens and we're all called to tend those things and what we need to kind of, I guess, answer even for ourselves tonight is, is my garden flourishing? Is my garden full of weeds? Is my garden in need of a makeover? Um, because all of these things are possible and probably all of these things happen from time to time. I think my biggest frustration as a pastor over all these years is when people lose their way through neglect of their spiritual garden. They end up run over with weeds and they have no sort of sense of the fact that maybe that there's any hope anymore, that there's anywhere to go anymore. And so often it's because of neglect because we sort of have an idea that somehow it should just happen by just just by, I don't know, by miracle or coming to church or, you know, kind of whatever it is. And yet it's something for us to tend. Now, I have a garden at home. I'm not a great gardener, but, I'm, but I am quite a keen gardener in lots of ways. And um, about 10 years ago, I started, to, I started to pay some attention to our garden. Our garden, our back garden at that time was just dominated by this massive tree at the back. It was a tree that was dying. Um, it was 70 metres tall. If you, I'm not sure, does that do that? Yeah, There's, that's an arborist up the tree, that, that, little, that little speck up there. That was how tall the thing was. But it was dying and it was dropping branches. It had crushed a couple of the neighbor's sheds. And um, we, had a, we had a sleep out. Well, we still have a sleep out underneath where that tree was. 
And um, every time there was a storm, my daughter in her teens was living in there or sleeping in there. And um, every time there was a storm, I would lie in bed and think, is this the night that it's going to fall, you know, that it's going to topple and crush my daughter and think, you know, kind of what sort of father is it who leaves this tree to fall on the daughter? And I was thinking about that all of the time. So, so, it's, um, so we started to take it down. It created more mess. Um, in the initial stages, it was pretty dreadful. In fact, it was really dreadful as we took it down and we lost fences and we lost all sorts of things along the way. The, um, the, the arborist walked off the job twice. Um, I sort of ended up negotiating him, kind of putting, putting $100 notes in his pocket, all sorts of things, just to, just to kind of make sure that he did it. And eventually we got to the stage where the tree, he actually walked off the job finally, where we still had the basis of that of that trunk there. And so we were able to clear it away. But the whole thing was a dust bowl, um, if you can see it um, in there. It sort of, um, it, it sucked the life out of the rest of the plants. There was nothing else that could happen while that big tree was there. But once we'd got rid of the tree, we were able to remodel it. And this is sort of the only picture that I've got after we were able to put decking on it and start to plant it and stuff like that. Transformed that garden in the process. And I learned some lessons in that time for the, uh, for the things that may be applicable to our spiritual garden, our interior castle, um, the garden that God is wanting to do. And I want to sort of spend the second half of my message tonight with some ideas around tending the garden that is our life. And I think the first thing that, that really occurs to me, and the thing that I'm, things that I'm going to say, these are not necessarily in chronological order. So I'm not saying you need to go out and start with number one, which this is number one, and move on to, you know, kind of uh, 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 work through those things. But we need to deal, if we are going to flourish and prosper in the gardens, with some of the giants that overbear us sometimes in our life. And for each of us, the giants that we may face may be quite different. For, for, for me, for us in our back garden, we were just dominated by this tree. This tree blocked out the sun. This tree made our backyard um, dark. This tree um, prevented any growth taking place. And I think about life sometimes, and I think about the way we do our Christian life sometimes. And I've seen so often over the years that people, uh, that, that we, you know, kind of, not people, but, but we... Um, I guess, tolerate things that we know are inevitably going to bring us down, are going to thwart us, stunt us, prevent any growth taking place. And so, you know, kind of guess over the years, I've seen people, you know, maybe with addictions or something like that, that, that they're just unable to get on top of, unable to come. And we are always going to, you could go to church every Sunday, you could, you know, kind of do all of the, the, the Christian stuff, but this addiction would bring you down. Or maybe um, fear, crippled by fear, crippled by doubt. So, so we sometimes have these things that are always going to undermine the thing that God is wanting to do and to helping us to create this beautiful garden and um, towering over us, glowering over us, threatening us, dropping branches on us, threatening to, you know, kind of maybe even to kill us in our back garden. We were never able to make any progress forward. How do you do deal with overbearing giants? I think there are a number of things, but I think my, my experience is, I think, is that you get professional help 
that you share it, that you work towards in a, in a, in a way of, of dealing with that thing over time. It cost us, I think, about $12,000 to take down that tree. It took three arborists a week to take that thing down. It cost us a lot of money to get the garden in a way that we were able to do something that would be beautiful, that would be something that you'd want to be in. I think there are times where we just have to face our giants. And, and, and you know, kind of even tonight, I would say, you know, kind of you will know if there are giants that always undermine, you know, and, and, and always take you down. And, and it would be a reminder to you, the garden's never going to grow as long as you stay in that place. And so somehow to be working with those things. That's my first thought. My second thought on these things is, oh, I've suddenly lost the ability to do that, Becca. Do you want to take me to my next slide? We'll see what goes after that. So my second thought on these things is, is what's unseen really, really, really matters. It's a really significant thing. After we've taken the tree down, there is a whole lot of previous attempts to, to do that garden. Of course, they were always going to be unsuccessful because of the jolly tree, but previous owners and stuff like that. So there was hard landscaping, all sorts of things. I had to take barrow load after barrow load, and it's in a difficult place in the section, out by, uh, uh, of concrete out of the place um, because they'd done these sort of, you know, platforms and stuff like that. And so we had to get rid of that, and I had to take barrow loads back in of soil, topsoil, um, mulch, um, compost, things like that, and get the thing in and, and create this whole new environment but, and, and, and I discovered in that thing that what's unseen really, really matters. You know, we just see the grass or we just see the plants and we think that it just comes naturally. But it comes when we've got great soil. It comes when we've got great conditions for something to grow. I remember I was in India um, and, and pra- sort of on a prayer line quite a few years ago. And um, I had all of these young um, uh, boys and girls. First one came up, it was quite cute because he or she said, could you pray for my exams? I'm having an exam tomorrow and I'm really nervous about it. So I prayed with great faith and, and um, all of that sort of thing and he or she moved on. The next person came up and said, can you pray for my exams? Um, you know, because I'm really worried about it. I've got an exam tomorrow. So I prayed a little bit more, you know, kind of cautiously. And then the next one, can you pray for my exams? I've got an exam tomorrow. And by about the fifth one, I started to say, have you studied for your exams? Because it's like, I don't know that I want to pray for your exams if you're not willing to study for your exams. And I kind of sort of, sort of think we, we, we tend to be like, I, I know I haven't prayed all week, but I wish God would just answer my prayers that I'm not praying. Um, I know that I haven't paid him any attention, but he feels so distant from me at the moment. I know I have no, no, no disciplines in my life. I know I've hurried just as much this week, even though Calv told me not to last week. You know, I know I've done a lot, but where is God? It's because the soil, the, the, you know, what's unseen is really important. I mean, we scrub up pretty well. I mean, you look pretty Christian. You look pretty much like, you know, kind of you're, you're connected with God. You know, you look like you, you, you sort of got it all together. You know, we, we do Sunday pretty well. But if we neglect getting the soil for growth, um, getting the conditions for growth, we're going to always struggle. Steve Hansen, the All Black coach, always talks about preparing bone-deep preparations, the phrase that he always uses. And you've got to assume that last week when we got smacked by the Aussies, the preparation was less than bone-deep. And you've got to assume that last night when we smacked the Aussies, that the preparation was bone-deep. And so it's not like, you know, kind of I, I'm, I'm neglected the garden, but I just don't want any weeds anymore. It's like, it's like you've got to work to keep the weeds at bay.
sometimes, which we'll get to in a moment. And so I think, you know, kind of the next is we need to set ourselves up for success. You know, whenever you plant a commercial garden now or a vineyard or something like that, you don't do it by eye, you do it by GPS. You do it by, you do it by drone, you do it by, so you get, you know, so you can get photosynthesis going, so you can get, you know, kind of you can face north, you know, because sort of in the southern hemisphere, so you can get the maximum of the sun. Um, and when you plant a garden, you need to plant the right plants in there because some plants, unbeknown to me, actually thrive in some places and some plants don't. So in our front garden, when we did that garden, I planted about 150 plants called Acora, I think they are. And I wondered why they kind of just about died straight away, even though I'd done great soil. And then I went to replace some of them along the way. And the lady at the, um, the, lady at the garden centre said, um, oh, so you've got them in a nice wet place then? And it's like, no, I've got them on a north-facing slope that gets, you know, kind of they get frizzled and burned and all of those sorts of things. And it's like, what do you mean that they need to be in a, in a wet place? It's apparently some plants grow in the wet and some plants grow in the dry and all of those sorts of things. So I set myself up for failure. And so we need to set ourselves up for success. We need to, we need to be um, creating the environments and planting in the right way for the right seasons and, the, and all of those things and, and, and being smart in that process so that we're not surprised along the way. And then there's the weeds. The weeds are inevitable. Weeds come. Weeds will affect our garden no matter how diligent we are. And my little experience of the garden is, is two things about weeds. One is... Um, the best thing you can do is get onto them early. And the other is, because you tend not to get onto them early, the best thing you can do is every now and then have an absolute blitz on the thing. So think about getting onto them early. Um, if you... Uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, so, sorry, sorry. So in terms of getting onto them early, if you get them before they have a chance to grow, there's no doubt that that's a much easier thing to do. But the reality is for some of us along the way, we're going to let weeds, you know, kind of take over in our garden. And that's going to take a little bit of effort sometimes along the way. And so I've found, you know, kind of it's important not just to be doing, you know, sort of this daily thing or this, you know, kind of uh, every now and then we're listening to a podcast or listening. But every now and then I think we need to invest in something that's really significant in terms of our spiritual garden. You know, we need to get away. We need to, you know, do solitude, silence um, and stillness like Fran's been talking about this morning. We need to sort of, you know, kind of it's, it's not just enough to put on a bit of work in the car on the way, but every now and then we need to actually sort of, um, you know, go on a retreat or, or, or make some time to actually have the weeds, um, you know, kind of work, work in your life along the way. My, um, my uncle was a, a Second World War um, soldier, and when he came back, he was a farmer, and, he, and um, when he came back from the war, he bought a piece of land up near Walkworth. And um, legend has it, and I, I think it was probably true um, rather than an urban myth, but there was gorse on his farm as big as a house. And so he had to, he had to tame that land. You know, your classic New Zealand story or your classic pioneering story, really, of taming land, of wrestling it into, into being. 
And so he, he um, you know, so he would burn it, he, you know, he would throw petrol on it and burn it and all sorts of things, cut it down, all of the sorts of things he did with gorse. Well, he, I mean, he died maybe 10 years ago, but I loved when I was a kid going to his farm. And this is what I remember on going out with him on his tractor and things like that. He always had three things with him. He had his, or that I remember, he had his um, plastic whistle on a string around his neck that some of you will have seen so he could whistle his dogs. He had um, baling twine around his waist because a New Zealand farmer can do anything with baling twine. So a baling twine can, um, I don't know, can hold in the uterus of a of a of a ewe that's kind of you know in birth has done it because I've seen I've seen her actually I've seen his daughter on her farm do that. Baling twine can um, pull together a, 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 I don't know a, a loose a, um, fuel. Um, uh, fuel pipe on a tractor, because I've seen him do that. Um, baling twine is something that can, you know, kind of make a temporary fence. I mean, isn't it incredible what a, what a farmer can do? And the other thing he had, the third thing he had always when he walked the farm was a gorse grubber. This thing on the end of a stick that he had made himself, probably with baling twine and all of that sort of thing. And he would take it out. And he would see this thing and he would take it out and he would always tell me the story and say, when I started my farm, it had gorse as big as a house and I had to take it down. I'm never going to let gorse grow on my farm because it takes over, because it dominates you and because it's no good. And so, you know, this sense of getting proactive on weeds, the things that we do in our lives, it's just so important that we address some of those things. How do you do that? I, I, I'm, I'm a... I think it's so important that we have relationships that ask hard questions of each other. You know, I think um, transparency is something that we're probably not all of that good at. But for us to be able to, to, you know, to, to really be honest with each other, again, we look great. But to, but to go the extra kind of, the extra question, how are you really? How are things between you and God? You know, is your prayer proving fertile at the moment? You know, is your relationship with God developing or are you encouraged, um, you know, at the moment and, and where are you going with it? I think some important questions for us to ask because we're so good at showing people how good we are on social media or something like that, but I'm not sure that we're that good at being authentic with each other often. And if we're not authentic with each other, we're probably not authentic with God and we're making some excuses along the way. And so I think that's really important. In Galatians, it says that we, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live with the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. There's an invitation for us to do this garden thing together, for us to grow together, to develop together and to be part of those whole things together. And finally, um, just coming to a conclusion on this thing, and maybe as a summary point in a sense, I think the best thing that we can do is create conditions for us where we're likely to thrive. You know, it seems to me that there are four things that are important in terms of great growth in a garden. Um, one is soil, obviously. You know, another is water. Another is food, because plants need feeding, um, even though we wouldn't think they do, perhaps. And the other, of course, is sun. So people who are better gardeners than me may know other things. But it does seem like if we get good soil, if we get good water, if we get good food, and if we get sun, we're going to be okay. 
So the idea is that we want to create conditions to thrive. We want to create conditions that the best possibility for us to, 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 um, to do well um, can be along the way. Well done for coming to church. Well done for being part of a series called Catching Breath. Well done for listening to the podcast on Wednesday and so that we can go a little deeper. Well done for um, listening to Fran's message from this morning, this week, and instead of, and you know, kind of instead of running along the beach or going for a walk on the beach with music in your ears, doing it in a solitary way with God in a way that God can go deeper with. Well done for doing those things because they create conditions, I think, that we have the potential to thrive. Um, I think all of the things that we've been talking about and the things in our series are things like that. The point being, though, we are a garden that's growing flowers and weeds, and we are a garden that needs tending. It's going to go one way or the other. It's going to go some way. We never get to stay just where we are, but conditions to thrive is really important. And so, you know, kind of there are, there are um, you know, people who are expert. You, 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 you know, some people see spiritual directors. I see a spiritual director talk about my relationship with God. Um, some people be supervisors or mentors or, you know, uh, sort of there are, there are um, uh, relationships that we can go into. You know, there, are, there is the opportunity to study together, to grow together, to be in these things. And when we do it deliberately, we are going to see something of the transformation that Teresa was talking about, going from having to laboriously get the bucket out of the well through to the time that we're looking for the reign of God and, and for him to come into water and to um, inspire us and help our garden grow. And so just to, to finish, what I would love you to do is to grab your phones or grab a piece of paper or grab some way of doing it. You can do this even if you don't have any of those things. But if you do have a way of doing this, this is what I would love us to do. Um, answer, well, it's not a question, but complete one or both of these two sentences. And if you don't get a chance to do it properly, then then you can do it, you know, kind of another time. And if you, even if you haven't got anything that you can write on or click on or whatever, you'll remember this basically. So, and that is this, I thrive best when. So, you know, and, and I don't mean, you know, kind of, you know, when I'm, when my sports team's winning and, you know, when I get the raise and, you know, when I get the girl or when I get the guy or something like that. But I thrive, my garden thrives best when and you'll know instinctively if you don't know instinctively you'll know instinctively I thrive worst when you'll know the answer to that one but I thrive best when and then going back to Hildegard of Bingen from 12th century what a great thing the green finger of God for me right now the invitation of the veriditas of God the invitation of God for me is in this direction Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.